Good morning. What a treat to be in Atlanta today, amen? Um, it's so great to be here in the North River uh, Church of Christ, and uh, it's really a refreshing place for me and my wife, and uh, my daughter's actually here, Diana, and her friend from Ukraine, Arena, are here, but unfortunately they're sick, and they're at home, uh, but we'll bring a piece of fellowship back to them and feed them later, but I just wanted to say thank you to the Browns for inviting us and the Ottenwellers for hosting us. Um, we're living in their home right now. And uh, you know, it's so great to meet new people. Um, it's gonna be awesome to meet Jesus just in a few minutes. I know you guys already know him, but it's gonna be fun to look at him again, amen? Um, but it's been great uh, to be able to go on a tour yesterday of Atlanta. I got to meet the in-town ministry uh, yesterday, which is a great group of people. And um, Ross, one of your elders, took me out and beat me up on a tennis court for about 45 minutes, which is always fun. Um, you know, you, you have to be careful how you play with an elder, right? But, uh, but he was amazing. He's a great tennis player. He's actually on an anniversary. It's so great to have family in the church, amen? Um, and it was great to have a breakfast with Tom McGurk and hear about all the amazing things God's doing with the campus ministry here. Um, and we got to spend time with the Haynes' yesterday. I've eaten so much food in the last two days, I think I need to fast for about 80 days. Um, Southern hospitality is overwhelming, amen? Uh, but it, you are blessed to live in this part of the world, and you're so blessed to have such an amazing church. Uh, my wife, Lena, is here. If she could stand up, she's so awesome. I love her. Um, we're going to look at a couple slides. I was here just a couple months ago, so I guess I'm on a, a preaching rotation. Every two months is my turn. So um, I'm back. It's my turn again, so hang in there. Um, uh, just a couple slides, though, what God's been doing since we were here last. Uh, if we can look at the next slide. Uh -huh. God of Wonders. Uh, I shared last in, uh, in April, we were about to celebrate our 25th anniversary as the Kiev Church of Christ. Uh, God's, uh, I had the blessing of being sent over after graduating the University of Kansas on the mission team to Kiev 25 years ago. Uh, and it's amazing to see how 10 people uh, became 2,500 people in 10 different churches all over the Ukraine. And God is amazing, amen? Um, so we had a God of wonders because we wanted to remember all the amazing things God's done the last 25 years in the history of the Kiev Church. Next slide. This is the Sunday service. A little over 2,000 people, which was awesome. Uh, very inspiring. Tom McGurk's there if you see him. He's that, he's that guy. Do you see him there? Okay. It was so great to have him. Thank you for loaning him to us and to the European work there. Uh, so inspiring. Him and Courtney were over there for uh, the conference, and they also spoke to our campus, which was very inspiring. Uh, next slide. This is something we're very excited about. This is our School of Missions. Uh, this is a group of 40 young men and women who serve full-time in the ministry, just training to learn how to plant and lead churches all over Eastern Europe. Um, and this started four years ago, and we had our, next slide, first graduating class. You know, and, and what's so cool is that they just didn't get trained in the ministry, but they become best friends, which will be ligaments to keep us unified in Eastern Europe. No matter where God may send them, they're going to be family, and they love each other, um, and it's exciting to have them out now leading churches or leading uh, different ministries across the Ukraine. Next slide. Uh, if you want to follow me, I'm borscht for the soul. Um, I know you guys have chicken soup. We don't. We have borscht. Amen? Uh, that's my Facebook name. Um, and I changed my name for reasons, I won't go into that now, and that's a website. Next slide. Okay, let's meet Jesus, amen? This is the actual interesting part of this entire thing. 
You know, you've never met anybody like him. There has never lived anybody like Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. He's, he's our Savior. If you think about it, he, he never wrote a book. He never had an office. He, he wasn't a millionaire. He didn't, he didn't leave behind some legacy of buildings or some kind of incredible idea to change the world. It was just him walking on earth. He didn't actually write anything down. I mean, if you were thinking, okay, how's my life going to make an impact for generations to come? I need to write a book. I need to, I need to do this. I need to set up a fund. I need to set up a... I need, what, what do I do to change the world forever? This is how Jesus did it. He walked on earth and he chose 12. You know, look at the next slide. There's the G20 and the G8 and the G Wiz. I don't know. There's so many different Gs. There's the economic forum where... The, the CEOs of Facebook and Apple and the Nobel Peace Prize winners and the world leaders and the billionaires and the sheiks and they all come together thinking they're so important and they're going to figure out how to make this world better. I'll show you the G12. Next slide. Now that group changed the world. Those are our heroes. Those are our role models. That's who we want to be like. I think sometimes we aspire to be like the slide before because we think we're really going to make an impact when we reach that level. This is how we make an impact. We have a relationship with God and we walk with God. We can be in rags. We can be uneducated. You cannot be a writer. You cannot have an office. You cannot have, even have a home. And you can change the world if you're with Christ. Amen, church. It's amazing what Jesus has done. Let's look at the next slide. Let's jump in the Bible, Acts 2. You know, there's a lot of moments in Jesus' life that I think it'd be really cool to be there. It would really impact our faith if we could have been there, like when he walked on water. Could you imagine walking, watching Jesus walk on water? Or when two empty boats got filled with fish, or when he fed 4,000. Maybe when he turned over the tables in the temple would have inspired us. Maybe when Lazarus came out of the grave, that would have inspired us. But I think there's one moment in Jesus' life that is most impacting to us. You can have the biggest uh, influence on our heart and motivation. And that's when, that would be having the opportunity to watch him on the cross knowing who he was. Could you imagine standing in front of the cross knowing that he could end the world instantly with a breath? but he subjects himself to, to almost 24 hours of torture because of his love for you. Amen, church. Let's read this quickly. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, here he says, you know, we crucified Christ because of our sin. We're responsible. He went to the cross for us. And they were cut to the heart. It wasn't just knowledge. They were actually cut that, that another person, if you found out somebody died for you, that'd be one thing. But if you found out the creator of the universe died for you, that's another thing. And he explains that they need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. You know, that, that hasn't changed. It was that way then. It's still that way today. Forgiveness of sins, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, that is the motivation for why we do what we do. When we ask, what should I do? It's because we're motivated by God's love for us. 
if you ever ask, so what should I do? Brothers, what should I do? That question's motivated because we understand Jesus gave up his life for us. Amen, church? First, next slide. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross in the eyes of the world, giving up your life, sacrificing your life. I know people have looked at you and thought you're just a fool. Where are you moving to? The Ukraine. I remember when the Ukraine had its war going on, and I remember checking in at the Delta counter, and they're like, so where are you going? And I said, I'm going to the Kiev, Ukraine today. And they're like, okay. Uh, when's your return ticket? And I said, I don't have one. I live there. And they're like, okay. <laughs> it, people look at us and they think, are you okay? We're fo it's foolishness to the world when you give up everything. But it's the power of God in our lives. The cross is, if you ever felt a little bit powerless in your Christian life, have you ever felt you're lacking the motivation to just really be who you're kind of visioning yourself to be, the place you go is not your friendships, it's not even the church, it's the cross. That's the power. It's not the fourth study in your life. It's the motivation and foundation for everything we do. And what we're going to do is we're just going to spend a few minutes watching Christ on the cross and see if we can draw some motivation and inspiration for what he wanted to communicate to us at that moment. Amen, church? Now, as I, as I start, go to the next slide here, um, I would like you to quickly lean over and hug the person next to you. Or, or say hello if you don't know him. If it's your wife, Gorka, give him a kiss. Okay. You know, this morning when you woke up, I, I actually don't know what you looked like when you woke up this morning. Um, I, I don't always look like I'd look now when I wake up in the morning. It, it looks different, right? But what you saw in the mirror this morning was a, a, a big enough motivation for Jesus to die on the cross. It wasn't the cross that killed Jesus. It was his passion and love for you. Those people didn't kill Christ. His love for us killed Christ. Even death on a cross can't illustrate how much he loves you. It's just the best physical illustration he could come up with at the time. There's no way we can understand the breadth of how much God loves us. That person sitting to the left of you and the right of you was all Jesus needed to come down to earth. It's easier for him to bear the cross than to bear the thought of being in heaven without you. That's how much he's passionate towards us. A couple of ideas here. Matthew 27. You know, the first thing I think the cross demonstrates is how much passion Christ has for a lost world. It says here, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, that's basically from noon till three, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could you imagine walking out of here at noon? It's a beautiful sunny day in beautiful Atlanta. Could you imagine the sun literally going dark? 
Would you freak out a little bit? You'd stop immediately because you can't see where... It would be very, very unnerving. And my guess is when they, so many people came together at Pentecost, the reason they accepted the message of Jesus is because no matter where they were, the sun went dark. And they probably came back and said, did you see did that? What happened? What was going on? They crucified Jesus. Could you imagine that? And then it says here, basically, at, at this point, Jesus takes all the sin of the world on him, right? Imagine if you've never sinned, you've never felt guilt, you've never felt ashamed, you've never felt the, the, the fruit of sin. We know how we feel when we really blow it. You know, you just, oh, oh, mm. Imagine never ever feeling that ever in your life. And then all of a sudden, after being tortured for almost 24 hours, with almost no strength, you have every person's sin for all the existence of the world on you at one moment. Now at that moment, obviously Jesus needs his Father more than anything, but we all know that sin separates us from God. And Jesus, being also purely spiritual, felt the distance, felt the separation at that moment. And literally, with no strength and no breath left in him, he finds the strength to cry out, God, where are you? I can't do this without you. I need you. If the, cry, if the cross demonstrates anything, it, it demonstrates, Jesus is demonstrating here, how much we need God. What if we weren't allowed to talk to God for two hours a day? What if literally for two hours, okay, you can't talk to God these next two hours? Okay. I can make it two hours without talking to God. Jesus would cut off just for a few minutes obviously at a very difficult moment and he exploded with passion because he knew how much he needed God. What gets our passion? What gets our blood stirring? Is it the opportunity to have a relationship with Christ? It needs to be more for me. Now, sometimes the Falcons get us fired up. Sometimes the Braves get our... No? <laughs> I'm trying to relate to the American culture right now, and I'm not doing a very good job. Maybe social injustice gets your blood boiling. Maybe political issues have gotten your blood boiling. Let it be our deep desire for Christ that gets our blood boiling. Let that get our blood boiling. You know, there was a family. Uh, next slide. I want to introduce you to this uh, sister in the Kiev church. Her name's Tanya. It's a family of four. Her husband's Volva, and they have two kids, Anya and Lisa. And um, uh, several years ago, about 10 years ago, actually, Tanya was hosting a preteen group in, in her home, and um, her husband's not a Christian, doesn't come to church. She's okay. He's okay with her coming to church, but he's just not interested. And he, he wouldn't come out to anything. So Tanya's walking the preteen kids to the bus stop, and as she's walking back, she hears a scream. Lisa, no! And Lisa's the, the name of her youngest daughter. And this scream was coming from her older daughter. And then a few seconds later, she hears a thunk. Like something hit the ground. And she ran over, and they live on the ninth floor, 120 feet up. 
Lisa had fallen out of the window and landed on the ground. And she ran over to Lisa. Lisa's laying lifeless on the ground, picks her up in her arms, and yells out, and, and Lisa's laying limp in her arms, and just yells out, God have mercy! And at that moment, Lisa opens her eyes. Anya at this moment has run down from down upstairs and is yelling across the street, Lisa don't die, Lisa don't die. And they call the ambulance. The ambulance come and they rush them. At that moment, text messages are flying all over the Kiev church. Pray for Lisa, she fell out of the window of the ninth story building of their home. Pray for Lisa, pray for Lisa, pray for... And they're resending them and sending them and sending them. And the whole church is praying. They rush her to the hospital. They take her into intensive care. The mother goes in there. The, the dad, who's an atheist or, or wasn't believing in God at that moment, we were outside of the hospital with another brother, and we start praying, and we're praying, God, please spare Lisa. Please spare Lisa. We're out there for like an hour, hour and a half, and then the mother finally comes out, and the dad runs to her, and they hug, and they're just holding each other, and they're crying. Crying. And then the mother goes back in, and the dad comes, so, so what happened? What, what, what's going on? She, she's fine. I said, oh, what do you mean she's fine? No broken bones. What do you mean no broken bones? And no concussion. Nothing. A little cut on her chin. The doctors were like, what really happened? Then the dad looks with a surrendered look in his eye. It's time to study the Bible. Next slide. This is Lisa after. The next day she was jumping on her bed. Next slide. She's now 13 and studying the Bible, amen? You know, sometimes we wait for these emergency crazy situations to really just get on our knees and start begging God for something. We've all had those moments where we're just SOSing with every ounce of strength we have in our soul for God to do something. But you know, Satan is ravaging this world every day. He's sending a million people to hell every day. We've got to get intense and passionate about our walk with God. We've got to get passionate about what God's called us to do. Satan is after you right now. Get passionate about being close with Christ. He's after your relatives, your friends, your family. He's on a war. He's angry. His time is limited. And we've got to fight back with passion. We've got to be filled with passion. Turning to God, relying on God, begging God to change this incredible city. North Rivers is an amazing church, but the clock is ticking. Let's go after it. Let's change this world. Amen, church. Next slide. Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, number two thing that I think the cross illustrates is forgiveness, our relationships with each other. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
and they divided up their clothes by casting lots. You know, to say anything while you're hanging on a cross takes a lot of effort. So if Jesus is going to say something, it must be pretty important. He could have obviously said said that prayer to the Father silently and not wasted energy to say it out loud. But he said it out loud because the key, the glue that holds together a marriage, a church, a family, any kind of relationship is forgiveness. If we're going to be really close to each other, we're going to step on each other's toes. If we keep distance, then it's safe. No one's going to step on your toes. But we don't want that. We're a family. We have to be very close to each other. This is really a, you know, if you look at the topic of forgiveness and the way Jesus talked about it, it was in the Lord's Prayer, and then he followed up with it after the Lord's Prayer. And then it's one of the last things he says with his dying breath. And actually, Jesus was very, uh, very grace-filled with almost every issue. A prostitute came, he was very graceful. An adulteress, very kind and graceful. A thief, Matthew, Levi, very kind and accepting, even asked him to be his disciple while he's sitting there stealing money from other people. But the thing where he said, I will not forgive you, is if you aren't willing to forgive others. That is the place where he gets hard line, rock solid, and it's unacceptable, unacceptable to not forgive each other. You know, if I sin against Tom, the first person I actually need to apologize to is Christ. Because our sin is first against God. He's the one who paid for it. Then I go to Tom and I say, Tom, I'm sorry I hurt you. But our first apology is always to Christ because Christ is the one that paid for the sins. Amen, church? Now, if, if Tom were to hurt me, let's say Tom were to sin against me, which is, you know, I think it's impossible, but it, let's just imagine then my role before Christ as Tom's brother is first I go to Christ and I completely forgive Tom in my heart. I completely let it go. Christ, I know you died for that sin. I know I've sinned even more than than Tom would ever know how much I've sinned and you've forgiven all my sins. So I, of course, forgive Tom and and God, please bless Tom that he won't feel so guilty that he would be tempted to, to be angry or hurt but that he would just want to change. God, please use me as an agent to help him then to change because I'm sure he didn't want to do what he did. So give me complete peace and love and kindness towards Tom as I go and approach him. But I'm totally resolved because you paid for all of it. I'm totally at peace. And I'm just going to encourage my brother now because I know he's hurting because whenever we sin, we hurt. So then I come up to Tom and I say, you know, Tom, this really hurt me. Or, you know, I think maybe you could do this better. I, I, you know, the Bible says, you know, hitting me over the head with a stick isn't a good idea. You know, maybe you could repent of that. What do you think? I mean, let's talk about it. Let's open the scriptures. But my goal when I come up to Tom is not to make him feel my pain. Brother, do you know how much you hurt me? Do, do, you, have, do you have any idea how much that hurt? But the look on your face, clearly not. Let me be angry at you a little bit longer just so you can feel my pain. And then let me walk away and act like I'm still a little upset because I don't think your apology was really sincere. Because I'm in the judgment seat now. I'm king of kings and I'm paying for your sin right now. So you need to to share the bill. I've done that. I've had that arrogant, prideful. 
but it breaks relationships. It makes us doubt that the cross covered it. It makes us doubt God's love when we don't show that love for each other. We should completely accept each other. Completely love each other. Sin is serious. We should deal with sin seriously. But there's the grace of God. And God loves you and accepts you and forgives you. So it's very important that we always communicate that to each other. Amen, church? Now, it doesn't mean we don't address it. We need to address it. We need to talk about it. We need to come up and talk about it. But come up with a resolved heart. Go to Christ first and stand in front of the cross. And after that, then approach your brother who's hurt you or sister. Amen, church? You know, that takes perseverance. That's not always easy. You know, I love being here. We actually came into the United States on July 1st. And I love being here around the 4th of July because, you know, it's kind of very... It's exciting. It's fun, you know. And America is an, is an awesome country, and God's used it in incredible ways. And you planted churches all over the world. Uh, praise God uh, for the way God's used missionaries and sacrificial hearts like yours to impact people all over the world. It's amazing. But I remember like 15 years ago, me and my wife were driving in a minivan with our kids um, all over the churches in the United States to share about hope worldwide. And uh, as we were driving back up towards New York, we went through Williamsburg. That's like where America started. So we're driving up through Williamsburg, and my wife is like, babe, tell Andrew a little bit about American history. Tell, you know, tell us how it all happened. And I was like, well, there were these three boats that came over, and uh, they were called the Mayflower, and that's awesome. And, uh, and, but America kind of became its own country um, from the UK. You know, they uh, were being taxed and didn't really have a, you know, a say, and so there was like a war. And, um, you know, and my wife's looking at me like, are you serious? And I'm like, well, Mel Gibson, and, you know, um, it was a, trying to remember exactly how that worked. Anyways, after that incredible history lesson, we, we pull into Williamsburg, and it's really cool if you've ever been there. They, they like, remake a little colony area, and it's awesome. And, we're kind of going around to the different sites and seeing everything. And there's this silversmith place where they show how they work with metal. And, um, you know, they, they show all the processes. Like they show in the beginning, middle, and then towards the end. And, and, you know, they have this big fiery thing going on there. And they put the metal in there, and it turns this bright red hot. And then they pull it out, and then bam, 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 bam. And sparks are flying all over the place. You go, wow. And then they take the next one a little bit already refined. And they put it in the fire, turns bright red. And then they pull it out, bam, bam, bam. And then he keeps going to the smaller and the more refined, refined, refined. And then he shows like how he takes the final pieces and it's like a Brillo pad, which is, you know, if you've ever tried doing that, that's not a good thing. That's very painful. But there's a Brillo pad and then this like cloth and then he kind of stops. And the, the, so, so when do you stop? When is it enough? And he said, well, when I can see my reflection in, in what I'm making. I said, okay. That immediately reminds me of my entire Christian life in the verse in Corinthians where it says God refines us until we become more like his image and I don't know about you but that's how I feel sometimes in my Christianity I feel like I'm this piece of metal that I get put into the fire and I just turn it's just hot in there I'm like oh my gosh it's so hot in there and then it pulls me out of the fire oh praise God the fire's gone bam 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 I'm like oh sparks are flying and everything's going crazy okay please stop pounding please stop pounding oh pounding stopped okay back into the fire oh my gosh I'm back in the fire when is this going to stop? War, coup, this, poverty, snipers, rats, cockroaches, salmonella, pneumonia, 
Everything it's just crazy all the time. When's it stop? When I can see my reflection in you. You know, when you're thrown in the fire, when you're pulled out and you're getting pounded on, it's not a sign of you're doing something wrong. It's not a sign that God's upset with you. He's just making you more like his son. Look what his son went through to change the world. If you really pray that you want God to use you to change the world, guess the path he's going to choose for you. What a blessing, amen, church. Doesn't feel like a blessing. Bam, 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 bam. But God is using, but we must persevere. We must, that's why we have to completely forgive and accept each other. We're getting, we're getting transformed. But God loves us. Amen, church? And finally, next slide. The last moment I want to look at is Jesus was on the cross. It's amazing how he's kept his focus on the mission even though he was on the cross. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the... Yeah. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Wow. Don't you fear God? He said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. You know, when I get to heaven, there's a lot of people I want to meet. But this guy's one of them. Amen? Talk about your last second deals. Talk about pulling it out. It's like the jumper at the last buzzer, right? I mean, it's... So two criminals are getting crucified. Jesus is in the middle. Both have the exact same opportunity for salvation, but one has a very off reaction. One has an actually saving reaction. Only one person the entire time Jesus was on the cross defended him. Only one person spoke up to defend Christ. Not Mary, not Peter, not John. The thief. The criminal. He's the only one who shared his faith at the cross. And it was a very unpopular moment to share his faith. Religious people, scoundrels, the whole community is against this guy. I got another hour left in my life. Why would I make an effort now? But he shares his faith. He rebukes the other criminal. You know, it's very interesting here. The three things we decide or we uh, confirm before we get baptized is that we believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for our sins, and that he was raised from the dead. Without, the, without those three cornerstones, you can't go into the water. You have to believe that with all your heart and soul. If you catch it, he's here on the cross, and he figured that out. He figured out the key elements. Don't you fear God? This man's from God. He's not on the cross for what he's done. He doesn't deserve He's on the cross for what we've done. Jesus, when you go into your kingdom, when you resurrect, remember me. Imagine how encouraged Jesus was to hear those things. And with little strength, he looks over at him and says, Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Wow! Awesome! Amen, church? Jesus was having an off day. 
not a good day, not a peak day, but somehow he had the strength to still help somebody else be saved. He found the strength to help someone else. Next slide. Uh, that guy on the far left is uh, the guy next to the guy on the far left um, with the little white writing on his black shirt. His name's Dennis. He was, this is the first day of baptisms of the Kiev Church. The Kiev Church was planted, and literally seven days later, 28 people were baptized. These are the 28 people getting baptized the first week of the Kiev Church of Christ. Dennis was like the first. Uh, next slide. A year and a half later, Dennis was the first Ukrainian evangelist appointed in the kingdom of God. I think 23 or 20, yeah, 23 years old, I think, or 22 years old, uh, became an evangelist as a year and a, whole, year and a half old Christian, uh, leading a group of about four or 500 Christians uh, in the left bank of the Kiev church. Now, uh, Dennis, uh, the summer of, I think, 94, I'm going to make, no, yeah, summer of 95, uh, became very sick. And uh, Dennis uh, went to the doctor, and it turns out that he had cancer. And the doctor said he only had a couple months left to live. And uh, Dennis said, I still want to serve the kingdom. I still want to win as many as possible. So he continued to lead his region, even though he only had a couple months left to live. Because he felt like his message is more powerful now than ever. And studied the Bible with a bunch of people. And that region baptized 60 people in the next two months while he was sick. They would just bring people to Dennis because Dennis was at a point where he couldn't really walk anymore. It was painful to stand. It was painful to lay down. And his mother was an atheist, married to a guy in the KGB, a colonel in the KGB. And the mother one night went to bed as Dennis finally fell asleep. Mother was laying next to him and, and mother had never been to church, doesn't believe in God. Um, there was a stack of letters that Christians had written Dennis on the side of his bed. And as Dennis fell asleep, she just went through all the letters and started reading everything that the brothers and sisters wrote to Dennis, their thankfulness for him. And it was incredible because she just started to cry, and it just totally impacted her heart. And at a moment, Dennis woke up, looked over at Mom, and Mom's crying, said, Mom, what's wrong? He said, well, I've been reading what all the Christians have been writing to you, and I think I believe in God. I want to study the Bible. And about two weeks later, uh, she was ready to be baptized. And they held Dennis up in the bathroom. You know, we baptize people in bathtubs um, in the Ukraine. Um, not always, but sometimes. Sometimes outside, but usually in a bathtub. So they're gathered around the bathtub, and, and um, it's in December. And, and Dennis says, you know, Mom, I've been praying since the day I was baptized you would become a Christian. If this, is, if this is what needed to happen for you to make it to heaven, then it's worth it. And Dennis baptized his mom. And his mom became a Christian. Amen. A few weeks later, Dennis passed away. And uh, I remember the funeral. Um, the funeral uh, back then in 90, 93 or whenever that was, it's like this hangar. And it's almost as cold inside as is it outside. And what it is, is there's like a conveyor belt, a baggage belt that you put the box on and the body goes in the box. And then you have a certain amount of time, like 20 minutes. And after the 20 minutes, the conveyor just starts to go. And a door opens and you can see the fire and the box just goes into the fire and the door shuts. And right before Dennis, there was an 18-year-old boy with a grandma and a mom and a sister or something standing around the box of this 18-year-old boy, weeping completely hopeless. 
They're standing there weeping and looking at the body, and then all of a sudden the conveyor belt starts to move and it's kind of bouncing and bouncing. The door opens, the box goes in, and it shuts. At that moment, about 500 Christians walk into this hangar. It's cold, everyone sees their breath. We cuddle up, we gather up. Dennis's body is on the belt. We start singing Amazing Grace. And Jesus is Lord. And sing hallelujah. I'm quite sure the people working in that place had never heard or seen anything like this. And Andy said a few words before uh, Dennis's, uh, before the time was up, and he said, who here was invited to church by Dennis? Raise your hand. And about 10 people raised their hand. He said, keep those hands up. Who was invited by one of the 10 who has their hands up right now? And another 20 or 30 hands went up. And he didn't go further, but if you would have said, and out of the 20 or 30, who here was invited by them? Raise your hands. And you see the impact of Dennis's life. There are still Christians today that are from that 20 or 30 in the Kiev church who have had kids, and their kids have become Christians, and their kids went on mission teams. And Dennis's life is still having an impact. Do you want to leave a legacy? Are you thinking about leaving a legacy? That doesn't happen in a bank account. That doesn't happen with a diploma or real estate or a home or a vacation plan or this or that or a retirement. That's not the legacy we're looking for. Dennis, without a penny in his pocket, died completely poor, but he left a legacy that's still converting and changing lives, even today. You know, it was, it was amazing, like three, three years ago or something, we, we go to elderly homes and spend time with the elderly, and uh, my... Um, I don't remember exactly who was there. I think my daughter was there, but they were reaching out to one of the grandmas who couldn't get up and move. She was just laying in bed, and they bring them snacks and talk to them, the kids and the teens would. And this grandma shared that her last name is Koshliff, which was the name, same last name as Dennis. And they're like, wow, you know, somebody met her and said, you know, we actually had a, a brother in our church many years ago who passed away whose last name was the same as yours. His name was Dennis. She said, oh, that's my grandson. And grandma had actually become a Christian many, many years ago, but had fallen away or gotten lost and then lost contact and then with all the craziness over the years, just kind of lost track of her. And they started to connect and she got restored and was brought back into the fellowship and then she passed away. Dennis is still having an impact today. North River. This group is going to be changing lives for years and years and years to come. You want to leave a legacy? Meet somebody today. Leave behind one more saved soul. That's an incredible legacy. Amen, church? You know, amen. Um, next slide. We actually went to the anniversary of every year they get together on the day he died. This is his tombstone that the mother made for him. It says, Dennis Koshliff, evangelist. Because that's, that's all he cared about was saving souls when he passed away. Amen? You know, at, at a funeral, everyone dresses in black here. But in heaven, every, the pink balloons are put up. It's a maternity ward. What's a funeral home here is a maternity ward there. When you bury me, Amen. I, I've told the brothers and sisters I'm leaving plans. Just dump me in the river and go have a party. I'm so fired up. 
I'm out of this body, amen? I always felt bad for Lazarus, you know? I mean, give the guy a break. He's, he's up in paradise, I don't know, eating grits and shrimp. Totally fired up in paradise. And then the voice that's heard on heaven and earth, Lazarus, come out. He's like up there for three days. He's already fired up. And I imagine everyone in heaven's like, look at it. Well, what do you mean? Come, what, what do you mean come out? That's Jesus. He wants you back down. Are you kidding me? Why? Well, it looks like your sisters are crying about something. I'm going to kill them. What are they doing to me? See, sometimes we can latch onto this life so hard. We just don't want to lose this life. Are you serious? We're here as long as we have to be, but we're saving souls every possibility we get. And that's what we live for. Amen, church? Don't unpack. This isn't our home. Don't unpack. We're on a pilgrimage. Let's leave the legacy of more and more souls saved. It's great to meet Jesus. One day it's going to happen. And he's going to hug you so tight. He's going to say he's so proud of you. He's going to welcome you home. Let's pray for communion right now. As we remember our Lord and what he's done for us. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can just study your word and imagine what it would have been like to be with Christ. And thank you, Lord, that that's not a, 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 an idea of the past. Jesus is with us every day. He promises that he's with us every day until he'll come back, until we leave this earth and get welcomed into paradise with you. Father, we just pray that as we take communion right now, um, we can remember the way he gave up his life for us and can remember the love you've shown to us. Father, thank you that we can drink from the cup, the juice that reminds us of the forgiveness we've received. Father, I know we've sinned. If we got an email with all of our sins listed on it, it would be overwhelming. But Father, we know you've forgiven all of our sins. We've been totally set free of guilt. All of our sins have been punished. Please help us to live secure in your grace. Father, so that we can just give our whole hearts to whatever it is we're doing. Father, help us as a fellowship to always extend your grace to each other. God, thank you that we can take communion, that we can remember our Lord and Savior. Thank you that we get to spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.